Okay, working, great. Can't believe I forgot that. Oh, well. Well, good morning, church. Uh, some of you started coming here while I was away on sabbatical, on a break, so I may seem like the newcomer to you, but uh, I am the pastor here, and I've been on a, a break for the last seven weeks. And some of you probably want to know, how was it? And, uh, and I'll give you a very brief report this morning before I get to the message. Uh, thankfully, I did recover from COVID. That struck me near the end, the beginning of May. And uh, so it took a couple weeks to get over that. But I, I finally got a negative test on my first day of sabbatical on May 16th. <laughs> so it's like finally out of, out of quarantine. And I did a lot of uh, reading uh, along the way. I was counting them up, I think 16, 17, 18 books along the way. So that is, I really enjoyed doing that a sampling there, lots of reading. And then uh, rest and renewal. And uh, for me, that looks like gardening and fishing and golf. And uh, so some days I would work for, you know, a couple hours or a morning, and then I would head out golfing or, uh, or gardening or or also fishing, and some success there. And, uh, and then some study time. I was thinking of taking a course, but I did reading instead, but uh, did take in a, a preaching seminar with Daryl Johnson and uh, several lectures by some of the uh, Regent College faculty. And I uh, also got a chance to serve for uh, a part of one week with the Mennonite Disaster Service, or MDS for short. Mennonite Disaster Service is, uh, was started years ago by a group of Mennonites. Basically, if you think about a barn raising, when somebody's barn would burn down, the community would come together to raise that up. And, uh, you know, but things change, but those kinds of needs are still always there. And so, you recall, fall, the flood that took place in, uh, in throughout different areas of BC, but especially out in the valley, in the Sumas Prairie area. And so uh, one of the houses was, had just up to the painting stage, and so uh, several of us went out there and, and worked for several days painting. And it was really a blessing to be able to meet with a couple whose house had been flooded and to hear how God provided along the way. It was really miraculous how God, they, I mean, they were stuck there for days at first, and then, a, a, you know, friends of a son asked, you know, are your parent, how are your parents doing? And he's like, they're still stranded. They've been waiting two days for, and there's so much the emergency can't get to them. So he said, oh, I, I got a boat. And so they went and got them to one area. And then another friend, uh, his, his son uh, had a helicopter. And he says, oh, I'll, I'll get them out to Langley, you know, where they can stay with family. So it's just like amazing how God provided and uh, also, I did preach once at my former church, uh, Cedar Park, out in Ladner, and also was able to visit some local churches, including Heritage Mountain Community Church, just down the road in Port Moody, that our church uh, helped start a number of years ago. And Paul Truman, the pastor, had been there for years, and his last Sunday was the end of May. So to be able to be there for the farewell service and to, to hear and participate in some of the sharing there was, uh, was really wonderful, and thank you for that. And I did some ministry planning as well. So going to be starting a new series next week for the summer called Faithfully Different on the, on the book of James. And uh, also, uh, uh, David Lee and I will be running a summer Bible study that's going to be starting on Tuesday evenings here. Um, not this week, but the week after that, on the Tuesday evening at 7.30. And on Encounters with Jesus. 
So when Travis was talking about, you know, reflecting on Scripture, and he used the word Lectio Divina, sacred reading, just learning to hear from God in the Scriptures, and then sharing that together with one another. So basically, we're going to be doing that together in our Bible studies in, in the summer, and we'd love to have you join us. And uh, Elaine and I were also talking about we enjoyed the time away, but we'd really like to do some more visiting. And so, um, so we're going to start with today, uh, five o'clock, we're going to meet out in Lions Park in Port Coquitlam. Lions Park is across from the Safeway, just when you cross the Shaughnessy. Uh, I know, I have to look it up. If you need, just give me a call. But uh, we're just going to meet there, bring a lunch along. There's also places, you know, to pick up some food there, and there's playground area for kids. But we're just going to hang, we're going to be there at five o'clock and hang out, and uh, whoever comes, we're going to have our picnic lunches together and, uh, and visit. Well, I also came back in time to make my own small contribution to the spiritual formation series that Ariel planned and has been implementing. You know, we all have formative influences and experiences that have a role in shaping our attitudes and actions. You know, how we handle stress or conflict is often learned or formed in our family of origin. How is it handled there? Um, technology has influenced us in so many ways. It has shortened our attention spans and uh, our ability to focus, I think. And there are so many ways that we are shaped and influenced. And the reality is that we are all being formed in one way or another. But are we being formed into the kind of people that God created us to be? You know, I was really inspired... Uh, you know, at, uh, at Vacation Bible School, at summer camp this week with the kids. The songs, I find myself singing. I'm, you know, I'm shaving this morning, and I'm humming along, Our God is an Awesome God, or Amazing God. <laughs> and so it's just wonderful that those things can help shape us. But it's helpful to ask, I think, what were the habits and disciplines that Jesus lived by, that formed and shaped him? You know, and Jesus was regularly known for practicing solitude and silence before God. Not only always with the crowds, but also he went out to be quiet and alone with God. He was a person of prayer. We can see that he was listening prayer and intercessory prayer, but also prayers of thanksgiving. He studied and he savored God's word. They were, it impacted his, his calling and, uh, and resisting the temptation in the wilderness in so many points along the way. And serving, you've also looked at serving. Serving others was a way of life with Jesus, alongside rhythms of rest and renewal. And he was, of course, crucified on a cross. But his whole life could be described as cruciform, that is, cross-shaped. Because he lived sacrificially in small and in big ways during his whole life and his and ministry. And, and Jesus, when he was calling his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Jesus was speaking about a death to a whole way of life. And he was talking about the utmost self-sacrifice, the very death to selfishness and, and all forms of self-seeking. 
And this surrender and total dedication of our lives to Christ is not intended to be a one-time decision when we say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. But a way of living, a new way of living like Christ did. And so while we have been learning and practicing a variety of spiritual disciplines these past six weeks, today I want to wrap up the current series on spiritual formation by exploring the role of sacrifice in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, Richard Foster divides the disciplines, or something of this, holy habits, into two categories. One is the disciplines of abstinence, and the other is the disciplines of engagement. If you could just put that, there we go. Now, the disciplines of abstinence, we also use abstinence so often, sexual terms, but abstinence, talking about solitude, is abstinence from noise, right, and from and people together. Silence, fasting, frugality, uh, chastity, secrecy. Uh, secrecy in terms of Jesus said, you know, don't announce when you're giving to someone or when you're helping someone, that kind of secrecy. And sacrifice. Now these disciplines of abstinence need to be balanced and complemented by disciplines of engagement, like study, worship, celebration, service. But we need the disciplines of abstinence to teach us restraint. For example, we need to be still to counteract hurry sickness. Right? We need a stop doing and a stop buying list. Not just a, you know, to-do list and a, and a wish and want list. And now we'll look at this more in the verses that we're going to focus on in, in Romans 12, and you can turn there. Before we get to that, if you were here when Stacy Gladys Smith was here from Columbia Bible College, she preached on the role of worship. And you may recall, I hope, uh, that she gave a broad but helpful definition of worship. Worship, she pointed out, is not simply what we do when we are gathered for worship together, like we are this morning. But it is also what we do, or should be doing, when we are scattered as God's people in the world during the week, wherever we are. Worship is, she said, our entire response to God's person and his work. See, worship encompasses all of life. Our whole life is to be lived as worship to God. And that understanding and definition of worship reflects the definition of worship here in Romans 12. Let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Indeed, Paul begins by urging his, urge you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is, those who have been born not just physically, but spiritually by the Spirit, and therefore are all part of the family of God. That's how we get into the family of God. And uh, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. And then he goes on to spell out in more detail in verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. But the first and main thing I want us to notice is the therefore at the beginning of the sentence, right? Paul is, is making a great appeal that is rooted deeply in and grows out of what God has done 
And he spent 11 chapters talking about the mercy or the manifold, multiple expressions of God's mercy through Christ. And what we might wonder could possibly motivate someone, not just to sacrifice something in their life, but to offer their whole lives in this way. And basically, it's Christ's total giving of himself, sacrifice for us. And if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, but it's a movie set in World War II. Four brothers, uh, Sean, Peter, Daniel, and James, they all went, all four of them went to fight for their country. And as was standard practice at that time, they were put into different companies and sent to different areas in the conflict so that they wouldn't all be killed at once if something terribly went wrong. And yet, even though they were in different areas and different companies, three of them were all killed within days of one another. And Captain John Miller and a group of soldiers are given an order from the very top to find and bring home the remaining brother, the only one, Private James Ryan. And he is somewhere behind enemy lines, and along the way, several soldiers in this group are killed along the way. And when they finally meet him, even Captain Miller is, die is killed. But as he is dying, Captain Miller says to Private Ryan, earn this. Earn this. We gave up our lives to save you. In other words, make your life worth the tremendous sacrifices that have been made to save you. Now, Paul too is reminding his brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the tremendous sacrifice of Christ to save us. But his words are not, earn this. Uh, you know, a burden of obligation. But live with this in mind. Don't let it burden you. Let it inspire you to express and embody your gratitude in the way you live. Not because you must earn it, but because the greatness of God's love and mercy stirs you to want to honor and to imitate him. It's inspiration, not obligation. And so what then does it look like to live in the light of God's mercies? And Paul urges them to practice three disciplines that we're going to look at. First, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You know, an overarching metaphor of total dedication of oneself. And that's different than usually the way of sacrifice was to offer something else, right, in your place. This is like, no, you're the sacrifice this time. And just as the sacrifices given in the Old Testament were to be ritually pure, and pleasing you are to offer the best, not, you know, a maimed and, and, the, and the worst one. So we are to be holy. And the word holy means set apart for special use by God. Just to be set apart. And that is pleasing, acceptable. When God, ah, yes. This is your true and proper worship. Or some translations have, this is your spiritual worship. Uh, the word translated spiritual is actually the word we get for logic. Hmm. And it's for straight thinking. You know, worship with understanding as compared to, you know, mindless rituals. 
that have no meaning, right? Or you're kind of magical. No. No, and think about what you're doing. So Paul is saying the only logical, the right-thinking response to the mercy of God is to live lives totally dedicated to this amazing God. See, before he says, actually back in Romans chapter 6, he talks about this more. Before he said, you used to be slaves to sin, and you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. But you were saved out of that. Now, he says, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as instrument of righteousness. I, I picked up on that word instrument. Now, my one son is a, is a musician, right? And uh, sometimes he sees people, you know, they have been able to have this money for this amazing, very, very, like, $30,000 flute. They don't really know how to use that flute <laughs> the way it's intended to be used. Or I think of uh, our own Adrian Marples. For years, he played in a rock band. And when he became a follower of Christ, now we get all of those skills and abilities. Adrian just moves from instrument to instrument where we need him, right? Abilities that are repurposed, right? For a different, uh, for a greater cause, for God's ways. And so I, I think of a song, an older hymn that said, Take my life and let it be consecrated, dedicated, Lord, to thee. That's a great prayer. Do that each, you know, when you're looking in the mirror in the morning or at night or wherever it is, take a moment to do that. And that can be in big or in small ways. It could be sacrificing my time to help or to visit someone. You know, I was so encouraged, as, as Ariel said, you know, over 50 kids here this week, but 38 volunteers to help make that happen. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, and I think about godly parenting. Wow, that requires living sacrificially. I was thinking about when I was, a, you know, a new parent, and then when the first kid and the second, and then when the third came along, this this thing called my time, it was just like gone. And I didn't find that for years, my time. You know, you just have to give, you keep giving over to others. But God teaches and shapes us in that. Well, Paul's second challenge, he says, it's stated negatively, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's a present imperative in Greek, which means continuously stop being conformed. You're going to have to keep working at this. You know, the reality is that even within the evangelical church in North America, the church has failed to form its attenders into disciples. Instead, most people have been discipled by our culture. Now, Professor Alan Jacob, he points out, he says, culture teaches us what matters and what views we should take about what matters. You know, from how we spend our time and our money to how we think about, you know, political issues or social issues, how we live out our sexuality and think about our identity. And he goes on to say, you know, the culture has multiple technologies and platforms for catechizing or discipling and teaching and forming and training. You know, all day long, every single day, hour after hour after hour. To get a feel for the 
impact of secular pressures on faith, author and blogger Natasha Crane asked her followers to share uh, this share ways you're seeing Christians being influenced by the secular world around us, in what we believe, how we think, how we live out our faith. And she had more than 150 people respond with insightful and wide-ranging observations. Here's a few of what they had to say. Everything has become very self-centered. You know, like, you be you instead of you be who God made you to be. And you got this instead of a God's in control. Another one. I see an unhealthy and unbiblical level of mixing political views with theological views and Christian identity on both sides of the aisle. And a third, I have several friends who have adopted the world's point of view of sexual morality. I've been shocked by how many are comfortable with couples living together outside of marriage or even believing we have to accept all lifestyles under the guise of being loving. And then some began to share personal examples instead of just, you know, the other Christians in general, but personal examples. And so one said, in my own life, this influence of secularization manifests itself as forgetting God's promises, prayerlessness, gracelessness, impatience, cynicism, bitterness, and failing to know or understand how I'm supposed to respond in the tough or unexpected moments. Another said, uh, I'm lowering my standards for what media I consume. And then a third, I, I don't get as excited during the worship of my Savior as I, as I do during a sports event. You see, we need the disciplines of abstinence, fasting from media at certain hours even, or certain days, and connecting with real people in person. Um... You know, I had a long season where I needed to fast from sports because that's what I was thinking about all the time. I got to check the scores, got to watch the game. It was consuming so much of my time. I still have to fast from it at times. Sacrificing something on my want list, maybe for something on somebody's need list. And it will help, help unself-center us at least a little bit. And we need that. And even though... Sacrifice may seem like a form of service, and it can be. It is always more of a discipline. As uh, Dallas Willard points out, our need to give is greater than God's need to receive because he is always well supplied, right? So I think it's helpful to ask ourselves, what is one thing I should stop doing or sacrifice this week to help me from being formed by the values and habits of this world. You know, is it media? Is it sports? Is it shopping? Paul's challenge to continuously stop being formed by the world is actually matched by his third positively stated challenge to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transformed here in Greek, it's metamorphosis. You know, like a, when uh, a worm or whatever goes into a cocoon. I guess they're not really a worm. I don't know what they're... I'm, I'm losing it here for a moment. But you get, you know, in a chrysalis and then they come out as a bu butterfly, right? That kind of metamorphosis. It, the verb is in the passive, not in the sense that we just like, oh, 
okay, God, transform me. But it's permissive. Let yourselves be transformed. God is wanting to do this and say, God, I want to I cooperate with your plan, what you're doing, with what you're saying. This is how to both avoid, A, being shaped and formed by the patterns and influences of this world, and B, instead, be formed into Christ-like ways of thinking, thinking about ourselves and others. You know, in verse 3, Paul will spell out in more details in the chapters that follow what this can look like in different areas of our life in detail. But about ourselves, he says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, he says in verse 3, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. You know, people get drunk, they kind of tend to have an elevated view of who they are or what they can do, right? And he's like, you need to have a sober view of who you are. And God's Spirit will help with that. And then in verse 16 of the same chapter, Romans 12, he will say, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So it's also how we think about others. How we see others will impact how we act towards them. See, Paul is contrasting two ways of thinking about ourselves and others. How I think about me impacts we our life together. You know, Jesus challenged thinking people have different worth. You know, our world says oh, people all have price tags on them. You know, some are really low prices and some are really high. All different price tags, different, you know, levels of honor, significance, or worth. And Jesus, he pulled all of those stickers off, right? People will with a renewed mind, will see themselves and others differently. There's been a lot of discussion with the overturning of Roe v. versus Wade on abortion, right? I remember just over 30 years ago when the abortion debate became suddenly very personal. My wife Elaine and I were expecting our first child and we discovered early on that there was a genetic defect. And we discovered there were very different ways of seeing our unborn child. Some seeing it damaged goods. Some of her colleagues, uh, teachers, you know, why don't you just abort? And then another perspective, and this is a specialty item. Very different ways of seeing it. Right? And as we sought out not only genetic counseling, but also the counsel of God, what we were most deeply impacted by was how, was seeing again and with new eyes how Jesus saw and interacted with people who had been written off as damaged goods. And we realized we needed to sacrifice our value system that had just infiltrated us we need to sacrifice that value system of the world for Jesus' value system. And Paul says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it was only then, and as we pursued that, that we began to discover that God had a blessing for us in disguise. And so I, I found myself at the end of this asking 
Would I, would you rather become more like people who are full of themselves and live for themselves, which is the dominant message of the world, or would you rather become like people who are full of Jesus and are inspired to to live like him and for him? Remember uh, St. Augustine in the 4th century, he said, uh, God is wanting to give us good things, but our hands are too full to receive them. Hmm. Sacrifice tells us, you know what, it may feel like giving, but what you're really doing is, you know, opening up your hands, making space for God, because God has a way of blessing us back. Different ways, but it's hard to outgive God. I'd say it's impossible to outgive him. And so it might be doing something in small ways, sacrificing something in my schedule, making room. Start with a small sacrifice. And don't be surprised if God has a blessing in disguise for you. Because I know the number of people, a number of people, they sacrifice their time for this week, some of their holidays, even to come and to serve with the Vacation Bible School with the kids. And I saw blessings that they were getting from that. And blessings that the kids were getting. It might be sacrificing some of my finances. It might be sacrificing something big, my career path. Um, reminded again, I was at the BCMB, Mennonite Brethren Conference, at the beginning, convention at the beginning of May. And uh, I always see uh, Selwyn Utenbosch there. Selwyn works for our global mission agency, Multiply. But I remember when Selwyn, when I met him the first time, Selwyn had been a chief financial officer uh, for a, a, a large well-to-do you know, company in Toronto. And, uh, and, our multi and Multiply, our mission agency, was needing someone with those kind of skills. And they were praying that God would send them someone. And uh, somehow, uh, Selwyn got this invitation, this challenge, and he, and he began to see it differently. He's like, I want to invest my life in God's cause. And so he gave up that job, and he came to serve, and he's been probably about 15 years in this role. And every time I see him or talk about people, he is a blessing, and he is just loving what he is doing. And so for, for Selwyn, it was like giving up you know, a promise, you know, a career, a great salary to move across the country with his family here to, to receive what God had in store for him. And uh, he wouldn't change it for the world. He wouldn't change it for the world. So I want us this morning, I want to invite you to pray with open hands. Maybe you need to let go of something this morning. It could be letting go of living with yourself at the center and saying, Jesus, I want you to come and be Lord of my life, control of my life. It could be in an area of life. But I want to encourage us, let us pray with open hands. Oh God, we want to pray this morning in the view of your mercies, you who came with open arms, who gave everything that you had for us. 
Lord, we are so enriched and blessed because of that. And so, Lord, we want to open up our hands. We want to open up our lives to you today. Lord, it may seem like we have almost nothing to give. And yet, Lord, I'm reminded of the widow who gave those last few pennies that she had. And you were so excited. You just had to tell your disciples, did you see that? And so, Lord, maybe it's our time. Maybe it's even the career path that we are on. Lord, we want to give that over to you today. And we want to live with your values, with your eyes. Lord, keep us from being conformed by the world and help us to be transformed in the way we see, in our mind and in our actions, for your glory, for our good and the good of our world. Amen. I invite the worship team to, to come up and to lead us in some closing songs. Thank you, worship team, for, uh, for leading us in worship this morning. Songs that we can carry with us. And I'm going to carry that, uh, I'm going to adjust that last phrase a little bit. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. I hope you do that during the week. I know I'm going to be singing some of those Vacation Bible School songs. And, uh, but sing, but also live for all that you've done for me. I'm going to bake for all that you've done for me. There's some awfully good cookies, by the way, that were baked <laughs> for the coffee time afterwards. I'm going to share good news with all that you've, for all that you've done, done for me. That came to mind. I was thinking uh, just some of our neighbors, when they first moved in a couple years ago, it was hard to get to know them, hard to meet them at all. And we've been able to get to know more and more and doing a, a backyard project together. And then suddenly, stories begin to come out and uh, experiences in life. And so I'm just thinking, Jesus, I want to work and I want to share for all that you've done for me experiences and opportunities for that. Um, before we leave, just a reminder that, uh, that there are some, I know Betty is part of the prayer team. And if you would like prayer this morning, uh, and it can be a, a praise it can be also, though, I want somebody to come alongside and to pray with me or to pray for me. I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. And also, if you'd like to stay around and visit and get to know some others, uh, I encourage you to do that as well. Jesus, I sing and live and work and share for all that you've done for me. Amen.